Number one, Star Wars. Number two, comics. Number three, Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Number four, Mario. Number five, Weird Al. Number six, Batman. Number seven, Cal. Number eight, The Simpsons. Number nine, TV. Number ten, every single band that I stole all their MP3s. But before they all sold out, see it all together. Are you with me now? Nerds ruin everything. Hey everybody, welcome back to Nerds Ruin Everything. I'm Logan. And I'm Adam. And it's baseball season. I don't know. That's all I got. <laughs> it officially started. Uh, yes, it has. It's, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I mean, we're we're supposed to be we're supposed to be sworn enemies because you're a Braves fan and I'm a Dodgers and Angels fan. I mean, especially <laughs> the Dodgers. <laughs> um, you know, and this year is the is the Otani lottery, man. Like everybody thinks that he's gonna go to the Dodgers. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry to like like just dump info dump on a on a like baseball, but I mean, come on, dude, it's baseball season. So yeah, well, of course got, we're gonna have <laughs> you got nerds ruined baseball. So yeah. yeah, yeah, and I mean, hell, who knows? Like like Trout could even go to the Dodgers. <laughs> Yeah. No, he has that. Um, he has that massive contract with the Angels. He's not going anywhere. He just likes hitting home runs. Uh, I've been I've been reading. Um, I promise we're not talking about baseball the whole time, but <laughs> I have been reading some some interesting like contract tidbits. That um, man, some of these guys back in the nineties and like late nineties, early two thousands negotiated yep. some deals that were insane like ken griffey yep jr will be the second highest paid player on the cincinnati reds roster this year he has not played ball in over a decade <laughs> yes how crazy is that ken griffey jr like i was he's like 54 uh, years old and he's gonna make like seven million dollars from the Reds this year or some ridiculous number. And I'm yep. just like, man, <laughs> back in the day, man, they used to negotiate some insane contracts. Uh, well, even now, the, even now it's insane. Did you hear Juan Soto's like, I mean, Otani is like 600 million. Oh, so Juan Soto's going to be getting 600 million, like over, over uh, for 13 years or something like that. But we all know it's going to be stretched out because how can you pay half a billion dollars? Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, it, it really, truly like with a sport, like, I mean, I will like, I ha like I inactively watch it. Like I don't watch it. I like watch my stats and then I wait for my playoffs to come. And then the playoffs is what where it really kind of shines, right? But it's a it's a like I'm a lot of what the newer audience is, which is like they just track things because it's such a long season and they're losing audiences. And yeah, it's a very like, especially TV wise, it's a very passive sport. Yeah. Like uh, and the ballparks, man, are getting. Like, if you're not in a major market, you're not getting anybody anyway. But, like, yep. you're not getting people in there for those Tuesday, Wednesday, those midweek games. Even yeah. in a major market, you're not getting a crowd. Like, in the summer, maybe. No. But, like. Maybe. But but 100 and, 162 games, it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. To, 163 games. I'm sorry. Uh, it asks a lot of somebody. Um, 
you know, it's, it's a lot of commitment and, you know, it's like, I understand now why retirees love baseball. Like, yeah. I, because it's something that you can watch for nine months. It's slow going. It's Zen. But then like the weird thing is, is, you know, you watch the, like, did you, did you watch any of that world series of, uh, the, 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 the world league series of baseball where everybody was playing? That, yeah. That I, was I saw bits and pieces of it. Yeah. It, that, so that's, uh, we can, they've done all these things to help speed up the game. The one yeah. thing they haven't done is gone like, maybe we should shorten the season. Mm-hmm. And I'm honestly, like, I think that will probably wind up coming next. Is I, I, they, they won't be playing five games a week for uh, seven months out of the year anymore. <laughs> they just can't. Like, it literally, like... It is ruining this, like, like it, like the doldrums of summer, where, like, like it's the slowest games in the world because it's stifling heat, and these guys are like, you know, I, it has to, something has to change. Like, I, I was actually talking to a friend about this, and I told him, I'm like, they need to take a cue from the NBA and the NFL and let, let them have swag. Like, it's such a weird, stupid thing where they come into the plate. They don't. They can't stare each other down because, oh my God, God forbid, you know, the one of these frail egoed idiots like, like takes offense to something. It's like let these guys have some swag. Let them like, you know, when they strike them out, let them fucking do a dance. Like let them yeah. do something to bring energy. Like let them do like let like, like how about like let's let's take the foolishness away from the like let's give let's give the owners and or let's give the coaches and general staff. Like, let's get them out of the uniforms. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. It makes me laugh. Like, I mean, let's start, like, you know, let's start letting these guys walk down the hall, like, get some swag to them. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it, it, there's something that needs, there's some kind of energy that's needed in baseball that these guys cannot do anything. Like, they can't well, do anything. All they get. Have you seen these? Have you seen the Savannah Bananas stuff? Yes, okay. I have. Yeah, and I mean that's the kind of stuff you're talking about. Th- those guys are exactly they're like sold out for uh like months and months in advance. And, months. You know, it's it is the uh, baseball equivalent of the Harlem Globetrotters, but like people yeah. are loving it, and so loving it, like sold out crowds. Like, uh, like there's there's something about the. There's something about like the WWE theater of it all that the NBA has taken and the NFL has taken. Like these guys can't talk shit like in the locker room. They can't talk about these other players. They they have to. It's like this weird, weird. I know where it comes from and we're not going to fucking talk about it. Uh, we're not going to talk about why it's this way. But I will say this much. It needs to change. These guys can't just sit there and. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, you gotta have to get loss. younger people, like young young yeah. people, into it. So, cause, because and it's a shame other, too. Because going one. going to the ballpark, man, like those are. It's, I have like really good memories going to the ballpark. You know, um, yeah. we didn't get to go to a lot of Braves games, but usually once or twice a year we go see the Braves. Um, well, uh, you know, we'd sit in the 
cheap, cheap seats, but it, it just, I don't know. Um, well, I went to, like, like we used to, like, yeah, it's now, like, the $2 seats in at uh, Dodger Stadium are now, like, eight, like $20. Like, yeah. how's that? Like, a, like, we used to be able to, like, just back in the day, we used to be able to, like, even when I was in college, we could go, like, in the middle of August, if there was nothing to do, and it was already sweltering hot, you could go to a day game, two bucks, $5 beers, and, like, $5 hot dogs, and you'd be set. Like, you'd have about 20 bucks. And it gets you in, uh, like you know, you that like you don't have to chip in for a fucking for parking because parking was twenty five. But I mean, you could get in and out for twenty five bucks for yeah. four of you, and that would get you a seat, a bad seat, but a beer and a hot dog. Like that was back in two thousand, and yeah. now you're nope. lucky if you get a hundred dollars a person at yeah. least. Um, I used to go to spring training games like that, that's how I got to see all of my favorite players was because my grandfather used to trade in sports cards. And so he there was this big um, the second weekend of spring training um, was like like there was this big sports convention in um, Arizona um, in Yuma. And that's where a lot of the teams played on the West Coast uh, and the Midwest. And I just got to see everybody. And it was great because you would go in for. Like the tickets were a dollar and it was general seating everywhere. Um, and you could, you could see all of your favorite players play because back in the day, you know, Ken Griffey would play spring training. It wasn't like, it wasn't like before, like yeah. it wasn't like it is now where they all sit out. Right. And then three weeks later, they're all like dealing with ankle injuries and shit. It's like, Oh, come on guys. Um, but it was great. Um, like that, that experience, just like movie theater experience, is is something completely wildly different than watching it on the watching it on the like you know watching it yeah. on the TV. Um, it's getting, you know, but it's tough. Uh, movie theater experience is getting lost. Um, it's all of the, uh, that's the kind of stuff that makes me sad. Like people talk, but like part of it is cost efficiency. Like, yep, I, I understand twenty something year olds with even a, a small amount of extra income not being like mm -hmm. well i guess i'm gonna go to the movies because i mean that's thirty dollars <laughs> you know fuck that yes yeah. <laughs> one person absolutely it's, it's insane and like going to a ballpark i mean like you said parking and if for me and my niece and my sister-in-law to go to a braves game even to sit in this uh cheap seats yeah would cost us easily a hundred dollars so on top of yep. it's a hour almost two hour trip to the ballpark to atlanta so which it would be worth it if it was you know not uh not costing a fortune but anyway baseball i am excited for the season beyond all of that um uh it looks the Braves looked really, really good on opening day. They do. Oh, so. well, they just—they have a killer lineup there. It's going to be like I—I I feel like like at the end of the season, it's going to be a battle between the Dodgers and the Braves. Um, and I—I I feel like the the Dodgers, as much as they have, I don't know, Braves. You guys have all this heart in you. Like like when you guys took when you guys was it two thousand and uh, was it twenty one when you guys took yeah. it yeah 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 like it was just you guys just had it you guys just had yeah. it and just like yeah. wow they were almost there last so, year but uh, yeah as in yeah. usual 
Brian's fashion, get to the show and then, or get to the dance and then come up, <laughs> like, come up short. Gotta, yeah, you got to go stand on the wall. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know. Yep. But um, anyway, so uh, we've watched a little bit of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Quick, quickly, I guess, because well, I've watched almost nothing. Uh, I watched mm-hmm. the premiere of Dig Man on Comedy Central. Uh, which is an animated show. Um, it is trying a little too hard. Uh, like uh, the Indiana Jones stuff is uh-huh. so prevalent. Like it, Indiana Jones and National Treasure are clearly the the influences for it, and they wanted to do like mocked style. Um, so. Uh, Andy Samberg is the voice of the main character, Digman. He's definitely doing Nicolas Cage. Oh, uh, okay. He's doing his Nicolas Cage, or is he doing, like, a play on it? Like, a more like a play on it. But, like, the way he says certain okay. things, it's just like, yeah, he, he's doing Nicolas Cage. <laughs> but it, okay. it has its moments. The, the voice uh-huh. cast is stellar. It's just, yeah. like... Every every other like uh, scene is some kind of like bit, some kind of like mock of something from Indiana Jones or National Treasure. And is it trying to be like Archer? Like, is it trying too much to be like Archer? It's not. Tr- I don't think it's trying enough to be like Archer. Like, oh, okay. Archer is clearly mocking those things, but it it's doing it in a way that's also original to itself. Yeah, and, it's it's a very weird. It's it has its own eccentricities that it instantly did. Like I like it's kind of what I love about about Archer. I haven't watched the last two seasons, but man, it, I, I it got yeah. better once they got out of Archer's in a coma. <laughs> like, those yes, seasons were okay. not great. Um, but uh, y- yeah, it needs to to do a little bit more of what Archer did and kind of firmly established the characters as yes he is a american james bondian spy in archer but like he's also like that character like he's not yeah doing james bond it, it it's you're putting this ridiculously self-centered like mama's boy in <laughs> to Bond situations and this yes. is just a parody of National Treasure and Indiana Jones mashed up together and it's it's a family guy thing like a reference is not a joke like making a oh, reference to something is not a joke. and it's kind of falls too heavily into the like haha get what we're referencing and this is like yeah that's not really funny but it, it has potential um Speaking of shows, I said that have potential, and I was not really good, like high on initially. I've mm-hmm. stuck with Animal Control, and it's gotten mm-hmm. pretty good. Oh, like, okay. So anybody that listened that was like, okay, I'm not going to watch that. Like, mm-hmm. eh, I, I mean, I'm not saying it might be worth the hour or so you got to spend getting through the rough beginning of it, but I'm I'm enjoying it pretty well now. Um, but uh, the other show I watched was a show called Essex County, which yes. probably I don't know if anybody can watch. You can watch it if you know how to get around things. 
<laughs> yes. I don't I, think it's available would, on any American network. <laughs> it's it's not. Like I double checked because I was like, how the fuck is he watching this? Um and I was like, oh, okay. Um I'm I I've seen the trailer because it's out there in the um it's out there in, in the universe, of course, because it's uh I think it's isn't it a Canadian show? Isn't it a yes. CBC show? Yes. Yeah, it's CBC. a Canadian Yep. yep, it's the same place. It's the same network that brought um, everybody Kim's Convenience. If you guys not seen Kim's Convenience, please, please, please watch that show. It's hilarious. Yeah, um, it, and it's I also it's um, mini series, so it's oh, not going to be a. Okay. a I so it it's based around a comic book by writer, uh, author writer uh, Jeff Lemire, who is pretty good with the superhero stuff, but like his. Mm-hmm. Like uh, indie, very personal stuff is just always so fucking good. Um, there are three books, and it looks like there are a handful of episodes of the show. So it feels like they're just adapting all three books. Okay, okay. Um you know what hooked me, what made me want to see this as soon as you told me about it was Stephen McCaddy is in it. Like Canadian's own like specialty character actor, Stephen McCaddy. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, and then I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, it's this kind of show, yeah. um, which which is very interesting. Um, now, have you read the comic book? Uh, I've read the first one. I have all three books. and Okay. I read the first one, loved it. So bought the other two as they came out with the intention of reading all three once I had all three. And then as usually happens, things get in the way and they're sitting on my bookshelf. <laughs> so, Cause I'm just okay. like, but I have all these superhero comics to read knowing damn well <laughs> it's better than anything. Um, I, I'm excited that, like of course, Lemire is Canadian, um, yes. so it makes sense that the the CBC would choose this story. It's a very Canadian story. It um, involves a yes. kid who loses his mom, um, but he's uh, he's kind of becomes obsessed with superheroes and hockey. So, like, it involves all of these uh, Canadian tropes. Uh, McCaddy, I've only watched the first episode. I think there are two or three mm-hmm. out now. Um, okay. He is fantastic, and also, it's kind of heartbreaking. Like, it, this might be the best work of his career. Because wow. it, it's so... He's playing an older man who... Yeah. Uh, I believe, again, I only watched the first episode. I believe is suffering mm-hmm. from dementia. Oh, okay. So, Ooh. and, but it, it's a very, it, it, it's hard to describe. It, I don't want to say bleak because that makes it sound like you're just going to want to kill yourself if you watch it. But one episode mm-hmm. in, it Heroin. is not, yeah, it's not a happy show. It is very, yeah. Uh, like I mean, again, you're dealing with a kid that's lost his mother. His uncle is taking care of him. They live in a small town. 
it it feels like it's set in like the late 80s early 90s but it could be more modern than that um the uncle you find out pretty early on is gay but nobody knows he can't tell anybody um just uh, it's all of these like interlocking stories and um it's yeah it's not happy but it is very very good um has a really great cast including uh mccaddy uh kevin durand is in it um although if he's in the first episode it's not for very long um okay i I don't remember seeing him and then uh molly parker also plays parker uh, one of the main characters and she's she's fantastic um i mean she was in deadwood uh you know yes yeah no she's she's amazing like um she's in this wayne wang movie um called uh, center of the uh, center of the world uh with um it's a very old movie it was like 98 i mean not old but for our listeners that's probably ancient um because it's 25 plus years old but it's um, it's called the center of the universe, uh, our center of the world. And it's her, it's like a twofer. It's her and, um, the non Skarsgård, Skarsgård, Peter Skarsgård, um, who plays like this newly founded tech billionaire who, um, hires a, um, like an early era sex worker to spend the weekend in Vegas with him. And it's how they collude together and like politics both sexual and non-sexual and Hmm. like female male it all kind of colludes it's it's a it's a movie that uh, wayne wang who did like a lot of like um independent movies in the 80s or 80s and 90s uh like um holy smoke and things like like they were very esoteric movies like this was like his like let's make a dirty movie um so it's like nc-17 um and but it's more than that. It's kind of like Last Tangle. I know it's like, you know, Last Tangle in Paris has been canceled. And we don't talk about that movie anymore because of the shitty behavior of a couple of men in that movie um, during the production. But it's very similar to that in the artifice and art of it. Um, it's not just a dirty movie. It's not just like Showgirls where it's just like it's fun to watch this stupid, hilarious movie. It's It's got a lot to say. Um, and it was at that time where Edward was going strong. Um, I was kind of in love with Molly Parker at the time. Um, I have a certain type, uh, but I was genuinely surprised at how good this movie is. And it's a very, it's a very hard to find movie now because nobody remembers it. It's shot on video. It was like during that time where all the Dutch, all the Dutch filmmakers like Von Trier were making DV movies. Yeah. It's like that. It, it's during that era. And they, they filmed in Vegas and like they, they shot it on the low low, and if anybody can find it, if you can find it on DVD, um, I'm hoping that a boutique label finds it and gives it the care it needs because it's a really awesome movie. It is very, 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 uh, a very on the edges movie though. It's like very NC-17, but it's a very mature performance. Um, oh yeah, um, and it I, says unrated on IMDb. <laughs> so, I mean, that's it's a good cast. I mean, Shane Edelman, yeah. Baltazar Getty. Uh, uh, you know, like I said, uh, Peter Sarsgaard, um, uh, Carla uh, Gugino. You know, yep, Carla Gugino doing hey, what Carla Gugino does. Pat Morita. That has to be one yeah. of his, his last roles. 
It, it was. It was. It was one of his final roles. It's. It's like it's a very interesting. Like if like it makes like whenever if you know Molly Parker and you know her career and you know her pr- propensity for darker material, it makes perfect sense. This movie and then also Essex County. It, it sounds like it's very much so like like a a darker a darker a darker drama like a more harrowing drama. It's like one of those things where. Like I mean, if you're dealing with the death of a, a, a death of a like you know a death of a parent, of course it's going to be heavy. Like there'll yeah. probably be moments of levity, but at the same time, you know it's like like not everything not everything has to be fun, right? I mean, yeah. that, like that like like that's perfectly and well roundedly acceptable. Um, it just it has to be done well, right? It just can't be done for no sake whatsoever. But it sounds like Essex County is definitely one of those things that could turn into like this limited series could be something like as you move forward it gets better and better and better and dark like maybe not necessarily darker but deeper like i I mean you know just because something is dark doesn't necessarily mean it's not deep like the leftovers is one of the most harrowing darkest fucking one day one day i'm gonna get to it i I I watched the first season and i was just like I don't think this is for me. And then in the last, I don't know, eight, nine months of his life, you know, Ryan was at home all the time. So he just watched a lot of TV and he called me one day and he was like, have you ever watched this show? And he starts talking about, I was like, yeah, I watched the first season, man. I didn't, he was like, I just binge watched the whole show in like a week. He's like, you really got to watch it, man. And I just I haven't considering the subject matter of the leftovers I haven't been able to like force myself to to watch it but one I, of the like, days I don't even know bro I to be perfectly honest like I'll tell you the last episode from beginning to end I cried like it wasn't like a it was like a deeply sad like very terrifying cry um like it's not it's something even I had a problem with. Like it's it's a hard show to get through because if you feel you're gonna feel something. Like that's the way it feels, and it's like it's very much so. It feels like Lindelof's. Like it's the it's the thing that made me forgive him for everything. Like for every like it like it showed me that it wasn't his fault that things were went down the way that they did with Lost. Um, it wasn't his fault, like with the alien stuff, because if you could produce this, if you can produce this show and ride it all the way to the end and the way that it transitions and what it gives you at the end is it's like a, it's like a Stephen, it's like a Stephen King novel that ends perfectly. Like, does that make sense? Like, yeah. you know how like King always has problems with his endings. There's yeah. always something like, uh, I don't know, like this is a sh- like this is a show that I will not revisit. I've watched it once; it was enough. But in that one watch, it's beautiful and it's perfect, and the ending works. Um, but it's hard; it's a hard show to get through. Like, the, I mean, there's like we've probably, we've I think we've talked about this things that are one and done. Like you're like I'm happy that I've seen this. It's beautiful. It says so much about humanity, but it's just too brimming with the surface of emotions because. It, I mean, it, it always, it, it never veers away from loss and what loss and grief do to you. And it's not just the emotional pain, but it's the external pain that you give out to, to the world if you don't deal with your pain. And yeah. 
man, like that shit in it, and it gets real and it gets really weird um, and hard. But again, um, just a show that is like, you know, like it probably sounds like Essex. Like I said, it sounds like Essex County to me. Like it's like one of those things where there's a lot to it and there's a lot more color and subtlety to the drama than just one thing and one one tenor which i love like i love those types of shows the shows that can give me that present to you one thing like it's like oh it's about the loss of of a parent but they take that to that like to the to the nth degree uh to the to the to a realism that's beyond what we normally see on tv shows so um i will have to check it out I was this something that you was this something that you found or something that somebody recommended to you? Like, like, I know that you said that you have uh, Jeff Lemire's um, comics, but was this something that you saw on his like social that he came up and said, hey, as a county is coming to. I knew it was being adapted uh, like, it's you mm-hmm. know, one of those headlines you run across. Um, yeah. A comic book site a year or so ago. So I've just kind of okay. had my ear to the ground of, uh, and and I I also use there's an app I have on my phone that helps me like track the TV stuff that I want to catch up with. Oh, um, okay. It's called uh, hold on, I'll tell you. Um, it's called uh, TVST. Um, that's the abbreviation for it. Uh, TV show. I forget what it stands for, but basically it it lets me just it's like subscribing to things and it'll tell you like new epic like the show premieres at this time and you know and it, it'll break it down in lists for you. You can create your own list of like shows I want to watch. Um and then it as you as the episodes air, you can kind of check them off and be like, Yeah, I'll watch that one. And uh, it'll show you like if there are dates and titles for the epi- upcoming episodes. It'll tell you um, anything that's announced that like tracks all of this stuff. Um, I think it's TV show tracker. I think is what TVST is. Um, yeah, that's. Is it a green? Is it a green yep. square with a white eye? It looks like okay. Then that's what it. Like I, I see it. I see it. Uh, it is called TV show. Uh, TV show tracker. Um, yeah. Track tick client. Yeah, I mean, it has a paid version that doesn't have ads, but honestly, the ads aren't really intrusive. It can uh, thunder. So, um, whoa! Yeah, that was loud. Uh, and I have to yeah, go to a funeral was- later, so it might not be a great day for a funeral. Um, but I, I guess, what's a funeral without it being a rainy day? Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it it. So when it was announced, like uh, it'll get added to their database and -hmm. you could just, you know, add it to your list. And then when the premieres, I always look and see like what's coming up in the next few weeks uh, to make sure like I don't miss out on anything that like Mm -hmm. I intended to watch. And a few weeks ago, I saw Essex County was finally premiering. So um, I... Uh, of course, I was like, yeah, it's not playing. Like, it's not doing what Kim's, uh, what later episodes of Kim's Convenience would do, would, which would be like, it wasn't announced that it would be on Netflix or anything like that. But yeah, um, I, 
I would see, I would think it would show up somewhere. Like it, it looks to be a straight CBC production. So like, I, I doesn't look like, uh, I didn't look, see anything in the credits that's like co-produced by like Warner brothers or anything like that. So yeah, I, it, I, I think Netflix is a good bet. Honestly, I hope it's well received enough that it at least opens doors for his other things that aren't his superhero stuff. Um, okay. I, I, Hawkeye kind of did that. And I, hell, maybe that's why we have Essex County. Because huh. I, he was uh, part of the... Not the the Hawkeye... Well, it's weird. He, he wrote some of the Hawkeye stuff that we got in the show. Um, most okay. of it was uh, Matt Fraction, um, but so yes. it, looked, it felt like they took uh, some of it from the Lemire run. But of course, everybody, all comic fans were like recognizing the Fraction stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So this being pure Jeff Lemire, he has so many wonderful stories and a lot of really great sci-fi stories that aren't aren't based in anything other than like his weird ideas that I hope that this opens some doors for him. Um, So, but we'll see, you know, I'm like, I said, I've only watched the first episode. It's really good. So um, just don't go in. If you get a hold of it or when it is on, don't go into it thinking you're going to have just a jolly good time because it might have a somewhat (laughs) happy ending, but it is not a jolly thing. It is very grief stricken. So anyway, that's okay. long winded. Uh, the only other thing I watched that I can't really talk about because I fell asleep watching it is there's this new show on Fox, I think, called Will Trent based on these series of books. Oh, it's AB. Is it ABC? ABC. It's okay. ABC. Yes, because. <laughs> um. My uh, my in uh, my uh, grandparents uh, watch that show. They're, it feels very uh, much like a grandparents show, not in a bad <laughs> way, just in a like, yes, this is the kind of thing they would. It's like this weird monk meets house thing, like that's what it kind of looked like. I kept on look watching. It. I, I kept on like looking at it and going. Okay, this looks very monk, very formulaic, very mm-hmm. kind of like the rookie, very kind of like they could have a crossover with Chicago PD, Chicago Ambulance, Chicago Avengers, and like it'd be okay. Um, uh, even though I know that they're on different networks, don't don't get me old, folks. I only I watched like even fifteen minutes listen. of it, but you remember uh-huh. how like the beginnings of House were like it was like generally some. The, whoever the guest star patient was going to be like it's how they got into yes. the situation that's what this, the first episode started it played after something was over and i like i just didn't stop it and i got about 20 minutes into it the only reason i made it 20 minutes is because erica christensen showed up and oh. i love erica christensen um yeah and uh well actually speaking of house uh one the the guest star client and not client because he's georgia bureau uh gbi um okay 
the guest star victim, I guess, of the week is uh, what's she was in How I Met Your Mother. She was in House. She was uh, uh, one of the uh, early cohorts of House. Uh, Jennifer something. I can't think of her name, but she was oh, one oh, of uh, Jennifer Girl- Morrison. Yes, Jennifer yes, yes. Morrison. Yes, yes, yes. I know um, who you're talking about. Because I was like, is that what's her name? Because I'd all I've also been kind of background watching How I Met Your Mother, and uh, uh, you know she shows up, and I was like, oh, I forgot she was in this. I liked her. I okay. loved her in House, and then this came on. I was like, is that Jennifer Morrison? Um, but anyway, I he's the guy playing Will Trent seems great. He's doing the worst southern accent. <laughs> like, oh God, it, he's supposed to be from Atlanta, but he sounds uh-huh. like he's doing like this New Orleans drawl. Um, <laughs> it's very weird. Like, I don't know why they didn't just drop it. Like, just feel like mm-hmm. you can't do an accent. We're just not even gonna try. Like, he he was like an orphan in in uh atlanta he was like found in a dumpster or something it's this whole like backstory um (laughs) i again i i'm talking way too much for a show i didn't even make it halfway through and it's just because i fell asleep it seemed fine and interesting if you like those like if you liked house and if you like monk i think you would like this show so um, I may go back and watch more of it, but there's also so many other things I'm like, I'm going to watch. Still haven't watched Quantum Leap, and we're about to hit the end of season one. So, you know, um, I'm, but I may go back to it. So anyway, you've been watching some stuff. Yes, I have. <clears throat> I definitely have been watching some stuff. And um, <laughs> I, but like just one side thing about <laughs> Will Trent, my favorite thing about Will Trent is something that I do when I don't like people. Um, I'll mispronounce their names. And my grandparents, uh, the in-laws, um, as I affectionately call them because they're my 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 wife's uh, in-laws, they don't call it Will Trent. They keep on calling it Bill Trent. And when they started watching this fucking show, they sat there because like we call them every night just to make sure they're okay and how their day was. And they were like, oh, well, you know, Bill Bent is about to be on. And we're like, what? What are you talking about? The new show, Bill Bent, about the detective with the chihuahua. I was like, what are you talking, what's Bill Bent? I'm like, we don't know, like there's no such show as called Bill Bent. And we went on for 10 minutes until I had to like go through. And of course, thank thank God for, for like, you know, um, Google. And I like went in, show Bill Bent, question mark. And it went, do you mean Will Trent? And I was like, Maybe that's what they meant. And it was like, of course. But now it's a thing where they keep on calling it Bill Bent. And I have to accept it because, you know, old people's octogenarians, as they like to call them sometimes, uh, people in their 80s, they don't they don't give a shit. Like, you're not, not going to like you're not going to change them. And I just found it hilarious because it's something that I do with people that if I don't like them, if I really don't like them, I will mispronounce your name constantly. I will keep on calling you different names. And I know that that's like. For for for, I have problems with names sometimes because if I don't like you, I won't remember your your fucking name. But if I do, if I extra don't like you, I will remember your name and it will always come out differently. So, just to, it just if you guys know if you guys ever meet me the first time you meet me, 
if I mispronounce your name or I don't remember your name and I ask for it again, that means I like you. But if I continue to mispronounce your name, that means that you maybe should not be around me. Um, but anywho, um, uh, yes, I, like it's all to say, yes, I have been watching some stuff. Uh, I watched two documentaries, one better than the other. Um, and But they were both, um, I hate to call both of them fan docs, but, but they're... There are two different levels of fan box. So, so the first one I watched was something that I, I showed you. Um, it was it's called Golden Era, and if you, it's not a David Bowie documentary, guys. We're talking we're we're talking geeky stuff, so you absolutely probably know because we've talked about this video game before. Um, it's about Goldeneye and the making of the release and the impact of GoldenEye. Now, this is the one that's really good. This one is this one is an elevated one because they knew exactly what they were trying to do and the purpose of it. And it's a great doc. I mean, I like I Golden Era, if you guys can find it, um it's it's through like I bought it through Vinegar Syndrome, the blu-ray uh, boutique label they have what they call partner labels they have smaller labels that they promote and they put on their site and their site like they give them like the boost up and so i have a subscription to vinegar syndrome for the year where i get all of their titles but i also get 50 percent off of these kinds of titles so at 14 bucks i think it was like too hard to pass up on a documentary about this and it delivers like it's a really great documentary the only thing is is that we, as we know, as we've talked about, um, in a big portion of the the last third of the of of Goldeneye of Golden Era is about the um, is about the remastered version that we never saw. Well, as we all know, and me and Logan have talked about, Xbox 360 has the 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 remastered version now, and uh, what you call it, Switch has the actual original port over of the of golden eye it's how they resolved it's how they resolved the issue of the rights issue of like who gets to release it um but the movie ends with the bootleg release of of golden uh, of golden eye the 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 remaster and not the official release so but that just happened so like it's as up to the date as you could get it um but but that's not the crux of it. Like I, I really, truly believe this is like a really great documentary to watch because it kind of gives you an insight as to how it was created. But at the same time, they have this nice through line. You can tell somebody was somebody who had somebody who had expert knowledge of how a documentary should work is definitely involved in the editing process because there's always this through line of like even during the making of the game itself and getting people together, they're always cognizant and very mindful of, so because of this, this sent ramifications in the future to all of the different first person shooters. It's a beautiful documentary that does that very eloquently. Um, this is say because of golden. Now we get a game like perfect dark who remembers perfect dark. Nobody. <laughs> well, okay. Well, okay. So they tackle that because the guys who created Goldeneye created Perfect Dark. Yep. And it, there's like 
dude, you're going to really like if you're if you're that kind of fan, dude, like you're really going to love this doc. Logan, yeah. I, 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 I perfect dark because it was from the creators of Goldeneye, and I'm like, and Goldeneye is such a fun game. This game's going to be great, yeah. and it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't fucking, fucking Goldeneye. Show- <laughs> so. uh, but when when the when the fucking alien shows up, that looks like some kind of alien that was like you know an alien costume. Like yeah. I, I fucking I, yeah. But they also talk they also talk about time splitters, all three time splitters. Oh yeah, and the. Because they were the guys who made that. Um, it really does talk about Rare as a whole, as an entity, Rare Games, and what they did and the stuff, like how how popular GoldenEye was out the gate and how massive of a success was was and how Rare just wasn't able to, to hold on to that, but still managed to do stuff. And uh, like I said, it's a great documentary. Like I, like as a video game fan, as a historian, uh, like as a, like as a retro gamer, um it checks all the boxes it's actually made by people who know how to make a documentary but also made by people who understand the subject that they're broaching and it's not that they they don't hold back but they don't like they don't they they definitely pull punches on certain things but again it's not something like I definitely say this is like out of a one of like a scale one to ten of things that I enjoyed and things that were actually really good. I'd, I'd call this a, a solid seven or eight. Um, it's good. Like I said, like I, I highly recommend it, especially for those who um, who love that era of gaming and know what that game means. Like, like I mean, we we actually <clears throat> talked about that. We talked about how much Goldeneye was like a thing for us in our generation. Um, so yeah. There was that one. Um, and then the next one, which it's okay. It's a fan doc. And I was a little disappointed by that. Um, uh, it's called Who's Done It? A Clue Documentary. Um, uh-huh. Also, again, Vinegar's, uh, Vinegar Syndrome. Um, this one is like, because you like if you're like me and you know so much like you've read the three or four oral histories um that people have done about clue and the making of clue this doc is kind of a regurgitation of those oral histories but more of like okay so let's get these people together and talk about the the making of it and they have like you know they have everybody that's still living um that's a part of this documentary but i like but it just so there's a couple of problems with it the first one being that there's a filter on the on the entire proceedings it's the okay you know the painter filter on instagram that makes everything super smoothed out yeah that is literally laced through the entire i hate that man like i i I I hate filters and like I sometimes I get them but like I get very frustrated with um especially being a single person and you know trying to do modern age whatnot um yes it, it's just like everybody's pictures are I just like this all looks like bad CGI from the 90s man I just hate this crap so it really does um and it's it's and I know why they did it. Okay, like, there's a technical reason why. It's because the video, like, so they shot this on video, but I feel like the video that they 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 had done was 
was interlaced. So it has that weird pixeling shifting thing. And how they resolved it is instead of getting better camera equipment or getting somebody in that really knows the the ins and outs of digital input. I can't even say the word, but the, the the tech issues behind it and getting it to solve and spending literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to do so. They put the filter on it, which eased it up so that you didn't have that pixel shifting that you yeah. see with with video and you put it on the Blu-ray. But I will tell you. At certain points, it's super distracting. And for a documentary that I was looking forward to, but then realized quickly that it, it's just kind of like one of those talking heads. Oh, well, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about it's it's essentially an extra feature. And I hate saying that, but anybody who is seen who anybody who's a super fan of Clue will have known all the information that they give in this doc. And I hate saying that. Yeah. Like oh I've so, read, I've read the IMDb uh, trivia you know, <laughs> trivia page so yes I, you know <laughs> that sucks yeah no it really does I mean like it, it's just it's like simple things like John Landis was was a was a uh, was originally attached to direct and the reasons why he didn't come uh, he didn't um, he didn't attack like he didn't uh, direct the film. Um, the different screenwriters that they had that did versions of it, but like when it comes time to like actually talk about those people, talk to those people, they they declined to do the documentary. But you have you have a, a really good Michael McKeon documentary. You have archival footage of Tim Curry. Unfortunately, it's towards the it's towards the latter part where his health problems became a huge issue, um, which is almost it's a. Like you almost want them to do archival interview stuff because yeah. that stuff is like really it, it really <clears throat> sad. Um, yeah. But Leslie, that would be the fun Leslie stuff. Leslie like if you could dig up, yeah, any like any kind of archival things. I mean, you could maybe find some stuff on YouTube, but like mm-hmm. I I don't know. It was always kind of fun revisiting those archival interviews of people promoting the things at the time and you know seeing how kind of maybe their perspective on it has changed um you know based on the fandom like you know clue was yes. not a success so it would be interesting to hear them talk about it in the era of it not being a success although maybe at that time people didn't talk about their failures um but you know clue definitely became one of those movies like that of that era, there were so many that were not box office successes, but like mm-hmm. in the early days of like m- those like cable expanding, you had to yep. fill that void and people would just, I mean, Clue would be one of those things that ran on like TBS or something mm-hmm. like three or four times a week. And that's why <laughs> people our age are like, oh no, I love that fucking movie because we watched it all the time. Because there was yeah. nothing else on. Like, I love, like, not to get, but, like, I love Beastmaster. I will tell people I love Beastmaster. Yes. I don't know the last time I saw Beastmaster. I might watch it and be like, oh, this is dumb. But also, I love it because I probably watched it once a week for two years. <laughs> so. I, okay, so... Bro, I have the I have the 4K version of Beastmaster. That's how much of a fan I am. And I will I will tell you this. 
it still fucking claps. It yeah. still slaps. It's still fucking amazing. Like it's. I, I mean, think it's better like, than the Conan adaptations, and I don't hate the Conan <laughs> adaptations, but I don't know something that, something about Beastmaster just that. Uh, but anyway, this wasn't about that. But uh, yeah, but, Clue is such a. But again, that'd be like watching a shitty documentary about Princess Bride, man. Like it's like, ah, that, come on, like don't tell me, like oh. Uh, Carrie Elways couldn't be in the the Miracle Max scene because he wouldn't lay still long enough to play dead because every time Billy Crystal would talk, he would start fucking laughing. Like most like tr- like hardcore Princess Bride fans, like we kind of know that man. Like yeah, they're like oh look, it's a dummy in the scene. You're like yeah yeah, I know that. Like it. it yeah, that's where interviews would have come in handy, and like, um, I don't know. I mean, I get maybe it uh, financially, I guess, would be a big reason why the Clue people would decline interviews. I can understand it. They're all, I don't want to say elderly, but they're all pretty old at this point. Yeah, and so no, a lot of them aren't working regularly. So I, I can understand being like, I really don't want to give you four or five hours of my time for an interview that is not going to make me any money. I can go to a convention and sign autographs and make a shit ton of money. So that's a better use of my four or five hours. Um, So I'm, I'm jumping in here, but it sounds like if somebody, if, if a studio with money were backing this, we probably could have got, at least some like interviews of people talking about like how it was at the time versus how it is now, because it's such a beloved movie now. Yes. No, no. And you're absolutely right. And I think that that's like, I keep on like, so, I mean, you know, I have got the pulse on, on like the, I've got the pulse of, of like home video and stuff. And I, I, I constantly am, like you know, I'm a home video junkie. I mean, not yeah, like you, not to the not to the ex- send me things and show me things and like reviews pop up that I'm just like, a I've never heard of this, or b I'm just like I have heard of this. Like I did not even know it was available. <laughs> no, right, right. Um, <laughs> that's my that, that's my obsessive obsessive collector, and also part of the reason why I continue to do uh, the movie aisle. Because I love, I just love curation, right? Um, not as much as our buddy Scott. Um, <laughs> if you guys wa- follow Scott Phillips, uh, y- you can get an idea of just how great. Like, if you think I'm, I'm deeply into this. Like, you should check out Scott Phillips. Uh, he's even, he's probably two times uh, more of the the addict of home video than I am. But that's not to say anything. But uh, what I'm, what I think is going to happen. So, like, like weird sidestep thing. Um, recently they released Dra- uh, Dragon Slayer on 4K, the Matthew Robbins film. Uh, yeah, the one with God, I haven't seen that since I was a kid, man. Oh, fuck, dude. Like, this, that, that set is beautiful. 4K, complete restoration, um, from Paramount. And I say Paramount and I say Dragon, uh, Dragon Slayer. The reason why is Clue is from Paramount and has not been released. In another Blu-ray iteration, except for the one that they originally did, and they keep on releasing. I have a feeling that we're going to eventually get a 4K from them, 
And the nice thing about the Beastmaster is not just the 4K. They give you a commentary with the director with, and here's the kicker, and I haven't watched it, I haven't listened to it yet, but with Guillermo del Toro because Dragon Slayer is one of his favorite films. So he gets to talk. Like it's a, yeah, it's a whole, but here's even better is that they did a brand new hour and 10 minute documentary on the making of Dragon Slayer. And I can tell you that documentary is exactly what I wanted from the Clue documentary. And I think that it kind of peppered my viewing of it because I watched that over last weekend and it was like, this very technical, in-depth looked at making of uh, of Dragon Slayer because Matthew Robbins is um, Matthew Robbins is like you know one of the USC film brats, so he was involved with Lucas and, uh, and Carpenter and all those guys, and was like he was around ILM because he was a friend of uh, of Lucas. So he had a working knowledge of all of this, and it's kind of great to like go deeply into a film that was a failure it was a reasonable failure but also but advanced technology because you got guys like phil tippett and dennis Murin talking about it yeah on the i mean <clears throat> they were like that dragon is incredible it's still fucking I, I will tell you this much logan the dragons like everything about this film okay i now know what bugs me so much george martin's game thrones because this film is so embedded in my DNA that I've forgotten that he ripped off everything from his fucking series for Dra- from Dragon Slayer. There's a character named Tyrion, a character named Valerian. The dragons look str- – and the way that the dragons are treated and the way that the magic is treated is exactly the way that it's treated in – in um, Game of Thrones. It's like the end of the era of magic. And it's just when you watch this film, you go, holy shit, this is like one of the best fantasy films ever made. But on top of it, it's like everything that Game of Thrones is, Dragon Slayer had to walk before Game of Thrones had to run. Yeah. Or could could run. So I'm just saying like... Robbins is one of those guys who doesn't get enough credit either like i don't no, know what no. happened like was it just uh like because none of his like you were talking about he is in that class of like spielberg and lucas but none of his movies were super yeah. successful like yeah. and, and well, it, I mean, he makes it kills me man because like uh corvette summer um which yeah. is Mark Hamill riding high right off of Star Wars. Um, yes. And then you have what was it? It was Dragon Slayer after that. And mm-hmm. um, you, uh, Batteries Not Included. Yeah, Batteries Not Included, which is a fucking phenomenal movie. Like the special effects in that movie are so good. Like, just the animatronic stuff is so much fun. And then yep. uh, he Legend, had one... one Legend time. of Billie Jean. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I knew there was a, there was one more, like, big 80s movie for me that he did. Yeah, Legend of Billie Jean. So from, like... And then what, after that, it was, like, nothing. He did that, like, dog movie. And then... yeah. I, I don't it know. was all it was all screenwriting. It, it all became screenwriting because, um, like the thing is the the thing that's beautiful is that Guillermo saw the wonderfulness of Matthew Robbins's work. Um, 
But I also know that Guillermo considers Sugarland Express to be one of Spielberg's finest moments. And I'm not I'm not in disinclined to agree with him. And it was a Matthew Robbins script that that Mimic was Matthew you know, Robbins script, right? Yes. Okay. Mimic, so, okay, well that uh, that that makes sense. That that's where they become entwined. They, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And he, he wrote Crimson Peak. And then also the thing that a lot of people don't know is that he was on stage because he was the he was the co-screenwriter of Pinocchio. So when Guillermo won oh, that, he nice. brought everybody on. He brought everybody on stage. He brought Matthew Robbins on stage because he was just as much of a part of the of the process. Um, they're really good friends, and he loves Matthew Robbins, and I, it's kind of like. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I need to revisit Dragon Slayer. I I need to get Elizabeth. On our uh, Game of Thrones podcast, uh, I need to oh, get yes. her to watch that and just be like, you know, so because we talk a lot about how uh, Tolkien influenced uh, Game of Thrones, um, mm-hmm. but it would be very interesting to show her something. Be like, hey, here's a movie you've never heard of because I know she's never heard of it, and like mm-hmm. to see all of that. So anyway. Um, we we weren't even talking about Dragon Slayer and we got to Dragon Slayer. Um, but it's badass, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is why people listen to us. I watched, okay, so oh, like on the 4K bent, um, I watched uh, a 4K version of The Last Starfighter, and that's not going to be coming out till May. But uh, that's another one of those people, movies, man, that was like just instrumental in our childhood. Oh, God, yes. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. And I can tell you guys, it's worth the upgrade. Like, I watched that Saturday night, um, volume full out on my big screen. And I will tell you, here's a weird thing about that. Like, the CGI, people think of, like, it's rudimentary. But the thing is, is that with every succession ver- successive version of clarity that I'm getting, I will tell you, the last Starfighter CG in 4K is something to behold because it's it's beautiful in a way that I cannot describe. Um, and that just comes from rendering time, right? Like they spent like, and this is another thing, like where they the the behind the scenes features on the Blu-ray from Arrow is ported over to the 4K, which I know sounds weird and people don't think about this, but this is something that collectors think about, which is is that when you get a new version, you want, want all yeah. this, all, and not just on a different disc, but on the same damn disc, right? Yeah. And it's one of the things that made me stop buying as like, oh, it was DVD and then it was Blu-ray yeah. and then like, okay, well, sometimes I have to have the DVD and the Blu-ray because all the special features didn't get ported to the Blu-ray and then 4K started coming out and then it's like, well, shit, the 4K doesn't even have some of the special features that the Blu-ray have. I'm like, I, I mm-hmm. don't want to own three versions of one movie. Like, I, I just don't, you yeah. know. So it gets frustrating, and I just eventually was just like, I got to stop because I'm just, I I don't have the room, and I am spending money on things I already own because I want to watch these new special features. Um, And also, if it's uh, the upgrade is worth it, um, you know, so yeah, I I totally get that. It's very, I don't know, sometimes it's because it's like different 
production studios and so yes. maybe there's like some weird rights issues or something like that that holds them over but sometimes it's just laziness you know it's just yeah. like oh okay well you know we're, we're not gonna do that and then here's just a 4k version like oh, okay well i want the high def version but i really don't want to spend 20 dollars on something that doesn't even have all the features that my blu-ray has so exactly no, no, and you're absolutely right, and that's kind of what stops me sometimes from, like, like I've gotten to be a very disconcerting of fan of home video releases because, I mean, a lot of this, I mean, most of the stuff that we're talking about I'm getting for review or for my, my side hustle um, where I write press releases. I don't know if I've ever said that on air, but I do write press releases and I get paid for it, and some of the stuff I get is is because of that, because of the fact that I have to watch these things to actually write the press release for it. Um, but but Last Starfighter is the real deal. It has all of the special features ported over. In, not just, okay, so like here's the most important part of, about this. And this is something that I wrote about in my initial Blu-ray review of The Last Starfighter, is that it ports over not just, it, it doesn't just port over the Blu-ray stuff, but it, it ports over the stuff that was on the original DVD release, which is fairly important because like with The Last Starfighter, there's a couple of documentaries on there that are like hardcore making of only geeks want to watch this shit, hour-long documentaries. That's what I want. Like I want those those from back in the day when DVDs were like, oh, you want... You uh, you want this like cult movie that was made in the 1980s that made no money but was like beloved on VHS? We're gonna give you that, but you know what else we're gonna give? Boom, boom, boom! Seven hours of documentaries on the making of because these guys are still around and they want to talk about this stuff. So like all of that stuff is included on the Last Starfighter, like the the 4K, not even just the Blu-ray. Like I, you can go into the sub menus and actually watch this shit. Why? Because 4K Blu-rays have a huge amount of space that they can use because none of this shit was was filmed in 4K. It's all right. like, you know, SD and HD and even HD is nowhere near what blue uh, 4K, uh, the space that you get in 4K. So it's a wonderful disc. Um, well worth the the upgrade if you're looking for a 4K upgrade or you didn't buy the, the, the original Arrow Blu-ray, don't worry, because the 4K has it all. Um, I really liked, like, I mean, it was, it's all, like, that movie, I mean, I watch it at least once a year. It's one of those things that I return to because it's such a, it's such, for me, that's one of those, like, yeah, yeah I fucking it, love this movie. It's up there. I mean, you know, like, well, I, the Clark's cartoon wasn't wasn't really successful on TV, mm. but it kind of became mm. cultish. But like, there's literally an episode of Kevin Smith's yes. Clark's cartoon that is just a take on like I, I was talked about this with Digman, but it's at that episode's actually funny of the Clark's cartoon. Yes, it combines Indiana Jones and the Last Starfighter and does this like weird. Like Randall beats this like pyramid building video game, and he's like, "Oh, it's like the last Starfighter," and he thinks he's gonna be, I don't know, like the king or something. And they just yes. put him to work in the the mines, like building things. And he's just like, "Oh, this is not what I expected." <laughs> um, but that like that's for people our age, because Smith is slightly older than us, but he does fall yeah. into that like. He was working at a video store 
when we were kids and watching those things. So that there would have been something in his like purview, like constantly. So yeah, it, it, last Starfighter, man. Yeah, I need to, I need to revisit that movie. So, um, uh, any, what, anything else or, cause I, um, I know we wanted to talk about some vinyl stuff too. Yes, no, we did. Um, there is, but nothing that can't be like. I want to actually have a full-on Dungeons and Dragons combo once you. Uh, yeah, I, I, I had planned to go see it this week, and things just got away from me. I may go see it tomorrow, so uh, okay. next week. Well, by next week, I hope mm-hmm. I will have seen Mario and Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. So. I, I figure that we'll we'll have a conversation about both of those because I'm definitely watching Mario on. I think I'm watching it on Wednesday. I think I'm going to uh, go on Wednesday and see it on the big screen. Yeah, it looks like we might be going Wednesday. So fingers crossed. Um, yep. But uh, anyway, so uh, so yeah, let's talk about. We've kind of been hinting at like we wanted to talk about uh, vinyl because I recently in the last year got into buying vinyl um Mm -hmm. and have have had to like put the brakes on because man like it gets out of hand real quick (laughs) oh yes it is super expensive like that's the thing that i will say like up front is that like part of the way that i purchase things is based off of off of the amount of money like i don't know how like now I understand why the vinyl dudes I know are constantly broke. Yep. Because all they do is buy vinyl. They, they can't do anything else but buy vinyl because, like, they're more expensive than Blu-rays. But then again, I also get a heavy chunk of my Blu-rays, like I said, from reviews. Like, you know, four reviews. So there's a, there's a certain stream of it. But, man, vinyl – like, okay, so, like, first off, vinyl is expensive. But with that, I'm – like I love the the cultishness of vinyl. I guess it's like 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 ultimately it's like I forgot. Like I think we like for me the reason why I went back to vinyl was was because I was I was looking for things to slow down life, and I think that like vinyl slows down life in a way that is a good thing right like like do do you do okay like i let me take you through my process and let me see if you have something similar so like say i want to i want to listen to some vinyl like for me um it's about like i'm either reading or i'm enjoying time with my wife or like i'm talking or we're doing something that like is not tv based and so like we, we choose something to listen to but then that means I have to get the vinyl out, put it on the turntable, clean it to get all the dust and imperfections out, um, clean the needle, make sure the needle is clean, drop it, start it, and then do that whole damn process over again after 15 to 20 minutes and the first side is or 25 minutes when the first side is over with. That's something I love. Um, like, yeah, it's a more intentional process than like exactly booting up Spotify and just going or just saying, uh, "Hey Siri" or "Hey Google, play," you know, X Y Z. You know, um, yeah. 
the I will say the one thing about vinyl because of the expense um, is I don't take chances with vinyl. Yes. Like I remember back in Absolutely. the day when I used to buy a lot of CDs. Um, mm-hmm. when CDs became less expensive, I like I would go to Target and they would have like you know new like new and unheard or something like that and it would be like eight dollar cds of bands that i've never heard of and Mm -hmm. would pick it up and be like huh i wonder if this is any good and if it wasn't well i wasted eight dollars um i i'm not spending forty dollars on a vinyl to just go i wonder if this is any good that that is the one absolute downside like I intentionally, the way I have to intentionally listen to it, I intentionally buy vinyl. So now, not to say I haven't bought anything that I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever listen to this because I came across of it for like five bucks. That has happened. Yes. But yes. like for the most part, like I'm, I'm just not going to take any chances with buying vinyl. So, which is unfortunate. So, because there's a lot of stuff out there, but. Like I said, really fucking expensive. It really is. So um, I feel the same way about uh, about it that you do. So like my purchases, and I think that we're in line, are either classic albums that I listen to, and here's the most important part, all the way through. Because, yeah. like, I think that, like, for me, what it's done is it's created this non-OCD-ness because I don't know about you, but I'm a dude, I come from the CD era, so, like, CD era was always skipping, repeating, or putting your thing on repeat so you could play a certain song. If I'm on Spotify, that's what I'll do. But, like, vinyl, you can't just skip. Like, you gotta listen to the whole fucking thing. Yeah, it's it's the worst process to try to figure out, like, Okay, I can see the groove here, but yeah. like it's my hand steady enough to drop it. I don't want to scratch the record. And then eventually yep. you, after two or three tries, you're just like, Well, I'm just listening to this song that I don't really like. <laughs> so maybe it'll exactly. grow on me. <laughs> no, and that's the thing. So with that, like a lot of my purchases have been have been soundtracks, either scores, soundtracks greatest hits or things that i just know through and through that i love right and so but i mean that that creates like this great like i have a great um like you'd be surprised at how many john carpenter soundtracks i have well probably not you no but the rest of the world probably because like i love john carpenter like you'd be surprised at how many italian um like collections of italian um horror scores or genre scores that i have because that music by Ennio Morricone or all of his like disciples is yeah, amazing I, to me. Like I'm waiting ahead. to run across some stuff, some especially some Morricone stuff. Like I, I've not run across anything yet, but like the minute I see that, I'm just like, oh, I'm going to be buying that because that I love that stuff. I, I recently bought um, the season one and two uh, scores of The Mandalorian. And oh, nice! It's just it's so fun to listen to it. Like that's the kind of stuff you can like. Okay, well, I'm gonna. I I want to sit down and write for 40 minutes. I, I know I've yes. got 
you know, 20 minutes on one side, 20 minutes on the other, probably. And, you know, a pause to flip the record. And so, like, you can kind of make yourself, like, give yourself that time frame and listen to those yeah. those scores. Like, I scores are very, like, even as new as vinyl is, that's my newest thing is not soundtracks, just scores. Um, and yep. Star Wars is was instrumental in that for me because I found the Mandalorian scores. And I was like, oh, I really like that music. And then recently on my birthday weekend, I didn't talk about this, but I found the original pressings for both Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back at oh. a, uh, at a uh, like a used uh, media place for 30 bucks a piece. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, dude. I have to buy these. Like, hopefully they play and they don't sound super horrible because, you know, some yeah. people didn't keep up with their records. But uh, I haven't haven't given them a spin yet. But uh, I, I just I was like, I have to buy these. So now I'm getting a little obsessed with, like, what other film scores do I love? Um, and so that that's been my new venture into vinyl is looking for film scores. So. No, I. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'll tell you a heartbreaking story. So I found a, an original pressing, um, at the Salvation Army. Cause they had a, they had a collection of like, like, uh, um, vinyls. And so I was looking through it and it was all Perry Como bullshit. And I was just like, or Lawrence Welk shit. And I'm just not, I'm not a fan of that stuff. Like, like if you can give me some, like, like, um, but right now my search is to find um, Harry Belafonte albums because I fucking love Harry Belafonte and his music. Uh, before he was an actor, he was like, uh, Beetlejuice fans should fucking know. Yep. Harry Belafonte is an amazing, uh, uh, so like I've been on a search for, for that stuff, which is not going to be easy, but that's half the reason why you do this, right? To find stuff. But so searching through it, like, you know, it's, like and you don't want to spend an arm and a leg but i found for 99 cents i found a an original pressing of an original uh, of ennio morricone's um um how the west was won which is oh, my man. favorite fucking score i i take it home uh because it was all cellophane wrapped right like it wasn't cellophane wrapped as in like like original which would have even been better like i would have cried um, and I would have probably tried to figure out, should I sell it or should I listen to it? Uh, because this album is probably worth thousands of dollars. Well, mine isn't because when I got, I never thought to, like, I didn't ask to open it, to look at it. But when I opened it from the cellophane and I looked at it, it, it was just scratched to hell. And I was like, okay, well, maybe not. Maybe I can like, you know, put my stuff on it, fix it. I did my whole thing that I have. I have like a kit that can take scratches out because I scratched my 2001 album vinyl vinyl one mm. day because my, my dog was like decided to jump on me and I was caught off guard and I hit the, the table that my vinyl, my turntable was on and literally just went <clears throat> and like nearly ruined it. I, <laughs> Oh, but thank God it, it like it got fixed. I tried to put it through that. No, it was, it was that thing of like, when you were a kid, when you had vinyl and it was all scratched up, it would jump songs. Like yeah. you couldn't even, like you knew that it was dead. That's literally what happened. Like on both sides, I couldn't even have one side of it. It was just like, it started and then it jumped 30 seconds. Then it jumped another 30 seconds. And then it jumped. It was, it was, mm. I had to just literally, I have the, I have the vinyl because I love the cover of it, but yeah. it's useless. 
because, like if I tried to sell it, they would probably give me ninety nine cents for it. Yeah. Um, that's you know, a but shame. Then, that's the, it is, but I mean that's the hustle, right? Like that's the hustle for trying to get these things. Like especially if you don't want to pay a super high price, like you have to go to places that are not necessarily in the know about their stuff. Like yeah. I have a I have a I have a vinyl store that I go to that's in that's in my neck of the woods. It's ten minutes away, um, but they know their stuff. And so like if if I'm willing to pay above it and I want like you know I want original pressings. That's like, you know, I can go there, but they also have a great amount of the repressings, which that's what I love is like, I can now, like, I don't have to pay $700 for the Nirvana, nevermind original pressing of vinyl because there was only like a thousand of them pressed. I have all, I have the first, I mean, I have, you know, I have nevermind, I have Heart Shape Box and I have Unplugged. I have the three albums that I, I love and adore from Nirvana. I bought Unplugged uh, my birthday weekend, actually. Um, I'm not the oh. biggest Nirvana fan. Uh, you and Ryan would have shared that. But I yeah. do really love Nirvana Unplugged. And, uh, you know, it being like I was it, it was at the same place I bought the Star Wars uh, albums, I think. Oh, damn. And, um, yeah. you went you went through a little dive, didn't you? Yeah. That's cool. I, yeah, I, I spent like $130 on vinyl. It was, uh, in, I was like, I should not be buying this much vinyl, but like the the two Star Wars soundtracks, uh, the Nirvana was, I think it was 30 or 35. It was, of course, brand new, still sealed. Um, yep. And I was like, uh, well, you know, I, I said to myself, I love this album. Also, it's Ryan's birthday too. So you know what? I, I'm going to buy this for Ryan. He's not here, so I'm going to listen to it. Um, and I do, that's how I justified it to myself. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I'm with you. I know a lot of record fans, uh, vinyl collectors, are, are probably a little pissed about the repressings and how like much stuff we're getting repressed now. Yeah. Um, I can, from a collector standpoint, I can understand, like, I, yeah. I, I collect comics, so I understand what that can kind of do to a market if you're, if you're selling, if you're buying, yeah. it helps, <laughs> but if you're one it, of those really people that, 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 that sells stuff, you know, that co- not collect stuff, but, you know, it is, is constantly like, oh, I bought it, I listened to it, and I'm going to resell it for two hundred dollars more than what i paid for it um yeah that that's that sucks for you i'm really sorry that new pressings of hard day's night have eaten two or three hundred dollars into what you could flip that record for but also i might want to listen to a hard day's night and on vinyl and not pay eight hundred (laughs) dollars so i'm not sorry (laughs) Like, like, okay, so, like, I just sent you an album that just got repressed recently because I wanted it. And if instead of paying $400 for the original pressing, I asked for $30. And, like, I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan, right? I'm a, um, but I particularly love, love his live stuff. So Folsom, uh, Folsom Prison, Live from Folsom Prison, is, like, the gold standard of live albums. For yeah. Uh, especially with Johnny Cash, and I just like I just sent it to you. I sent you like yeah, it's a I, repress. Uh, yeah, 
and but I, yeah, I, exactly. I don't want to spend. I don't even want to spend a hundred dollars on no. that album. Like it, if it's re, you know, and again, like I said, I know it eats into the collectability. But speaking of live albums, that's mm-hmm. also another niche thing that I've kind of started leaning towards, mainly yes. because I. I like Willie Nelson enough that I will listen to Willie Nelson sing anything. Like, even yes. songs that no, I don't absolutely. necessarily... I'm just like, eh, I don't really like that song. And maybe don't even love his version of it. But, like, I enjoy Willie Nelson. And um, I was on the lookout for uh, a couple of albums of his that I'm like, I know I like these albums. But mm-hmm. I haven't been able to find much. But what I had found in my area were a couple of live albums. I was like, okay, I'm going to buy. One of them's fairly new. Um, I forget what it is. Uh, But they did a bunch of, like, country uh, superstar, like, live re-releases that, like, showed up at Walmart. Um, Oh, uh, okay. um, I'll have to actually look for that because, like, Willie... Live like, from Austin, okay, Texas. So, That's what it's called. Live from ooh. Austin, Texas. But then I bought, I found like at a thrift store, like Willie and the oh. Family Live, which was oh. a, a, that used to be a big thing for him, like yep. releasing these like live albums of him and like family, his quote family, um, yep. like doing these like shows. And I bought that on a lark because I'm like, again, love Willie Nelson and listened to it. And I was like, this is just, it's just fun. Um, yeah. So, like, I've, I've started leaning towards, like, I want to get some some more live albums. So. Absolutely. No, no, no. Like, that, that like, you're absolutely right. Like, I um, I have a, like, it's for me, it started with um, a Bowie album uh, during his Ziggy Stardust. It's, uh, um, I can go and get it, but um, it's his, it, it's like a live at the Palladium, I think. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a two disc it's a double uh, a double vinyl um it's you know it's like it it's something like oh no it's three vinyls damn yeah it's three vinyls it's like it's like three uh, close to three hours right or uh, uh two hours um it's great um and that's what set me down a, a go a live a live thing because the other thing that's nice about live albums is that they go to the greatest hits thing, but done in a way that's kind of nice and fun yep. because they're not done the same way. It also like you talk about Willie, like I have a I I have two of Willie's albums, but it also led me to going down a Chris Christopherson hole yep. where I bought the Silver Tongue Devil and I, which is an amazing album, and then that sent me to a live album with Christopherson. Those because guys do live as, stuff better than anybody, man. Like, any fucking body, dude. Uh, Glenn Campbell's last album was is is a live album, and they recorded it. Uh, I forget where they were. I think it was somewhere in Texas. It might have been Austin. Um, mm-hmm. And it's him and some other uh, just some some good musicians up on stage, and he plays mm-hmm. a couple of his songs, but then he plays some cover songs. Like he plays Tom Petty's Walls, um, ah. plays uh, a Foo Fighters song. Um, it, it's really 
fucking good. It's not the song. It's not, he's and he's not playing the songs like you know them to be. It's very much like Johnny Cash doing Hurt, and but it's live, so you get these little like you were talking like these little uh, riffs on things that kind of happen yes. organically, and it's just so much fun to listen to. Oh no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it also set me down like certain things like that I wanted like. Like um, I'm a huge fan of Loretta Lynn, um, and it's it's also because like it, it that mainly came from Coal Miner's Daughter, um, but it's it, it set me down like this weird country thing that I'm not I, like you know most people would think that I'm like if you watch my social you figure like oh he's just a rap head he loves rap and he loves hip hop but I'm not like like I'm not that dude. I'm a dude that has many rooms in his musical tastes. And one of the big things is 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 country, but not it's weird because it's not new country because it's, I don't yeah. I don't know Georgia it's Georgia garbage, Texas, man. Texas Yeah. Yeah. Georgia, Texas line, all that crap. I'm like, come on, dudes. Like, I don't know, like it just it feels like, oh, so you just want to make drinking music. That's great. Um, it's, okay, it's fine. club music for people who quote don't want to go to that kind of club. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but like the it's thing is, such like, trash. <laughs> it really is. But, but the, the old the old country stuff, man. Like it's so fucking good. Like it's just. It's hard to explain, I, and I understand like pe- people that don't like it, but like there's just I don't know, there's something to it, man. Like I I don't know, I like I don't know how anybody could listen to Willie Nelson playing and not just be like, oh, this guy's amazing. Like just he's putting his whole fucking yeah. heart into this. Like it's like it, I don't know. Yeah, it it's just it hits different. So. I'm, I'm it really does because I'm not a country person those guys. yeah especially those guys I think it's like the 70s country guys who yeah. kind of leaned into the country and leaned into the twang like like Willie Waylon Johnny um uh Christopherson like the highwaymen basically yeah. like I mean like like the super the super country group the highwaymen if you guys don't know who that is um go ahead and take a look and Look at that. Um, like, oh, uh, the one, like a big one that I'm looking for right now is the band, uh, the band's final, uh, yeah. the last waltz. Um, because man, Robbie Robertson, like, I love Robbie Robertson, I love the band. Um, but that live album is something that I'm looking for. But of course, because of the Scorsese documentary, yeah, it becomes like almost impossible to find. Um, it's weird how, like, I think that for me, the reason why live and scores are so great is the technology of vinyl. It's like this analog, like it, because it's purely analog and uh, the older stuff was recorded analog that you get a one-to-one ratio where the digitalness is it. Like you can tell, right? Like you can tell the warmness. Like I have, okay. So like my dad, one of the few, like one of the few things that I love about my dad about being a hoarder is that he kept, he kept, he has, he, I, I got his original speakers that he bought uh, right after my mom and him were married back in 70, 
72 or 73. Those old, like, box still, speakers? Yes. Yeah, and guess things what? things are so great, man. <laughs> Perfect working order. In 93 or 94, he went to the place that he originally bought it from that were still open and had them redo the speakers inside the speaker lining. And he then never used them and put them in cold, a place that was cold and dry. And that is so important for anything when you age, when it ages. And basically, I have these perfectly vintage working speakers that are completely analog. Now, of course, my, my, I don't have a tube thing. Like my, my, uh, my preamp is, or my amp is, is as close to analog to digital that I can get. But the setup is set up so that when I first started listening to music, I was like, this is a completely different experience. It's warmer. The bass hits nicer. It's not yeah. so severe. Like, I think that, like, I remember when we got CDs and how clear it was because we were so used to listening to tapes. Um, yeah. And, you know, after the first 10 times of listening to a tape, it's done, right? Like, yeah. like uh, uh, but I don't know. There's this warmness to the vinyl that makes live albums and scores, especially scores with a lot of strings or a lot of bass, just uh, beautiful. I mean, that that's so... I've always been an old... a fan of, like, old standards, but, like, of course, like, I specifically like uh, two people. Uh, no surprise, Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra. Of um, course, yeah. I, I do enjoy Tony Bennett. I do enjoy... Um, Sammy Davis Jr. Um, but Sinatra and Martin are just two guys that I've always, and I have a, a handful of albums from both of them. And oh. a, a couple of them aren't in great shape, so they don't sound really good. They they get that like old radio sound, you know what I mean? Where it yes. sounds like far off. Like it just, yes. uh, and there's a lot of crackling and popping. And uh, But uh, the few I have that are in pretty, pretty good shape, and that are albums, not their like repressing greatest hit stuff, but like mm-hmm. of the day albums. The the like strings and everything, they just fucking it just sounds amazing, man. Right? Like, they 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 soar. Um, I have a Nancy Sinatra. I have a Nancy Sinatra's first album. Um, actually, it's a comp- it's a compilation. Like they used to do those compilations where. They have like the first two albums and they put them together. They're not greatest hits. They're just combined albums because they were just a bunch of EP or LPs or EPs. Um, And the production value, like it's so wide and expansive and it sounds so wonderful. Like, like it's, it just, it sounds big. Like it should be like, um, like the, like the the scores for like the scores for like the Italian genre stuff that I have, like you can tell how big the room is because of how they recorded it, and uh, like Nancy Sinatra is the same way. You can tell when she, you can tell when the band like when the the orchestra is in a small room or when it's in a big room just by the expansiveness and how it echoes. It's beautiful. Like you can't explain it to somebody unless they actually listen to the vinyl. And here's the big thing, either have great speakers or a a semi good set of headsets, because I found that as soon as I put my headsets on, it was an even different experience. Yeah. Um, 
it really is nice. I, I like you just made me want to go to my place to find um to find some of my favorite uh Sinatra albums just so that I could hear that score. Like I can hear the the stand like the because I mean he worked with the best bands and or like the best musicians and composition producers of the era when people took classical music seriously, like yeah. took those kinds of things seriously. And like, it almost, it even makes me want to like the easiest way to do it also, because I love the album is to get the Gaga, a uh, Tony Bennett album. Like I want to yeah. hear that on vinyl too. Um, just to see, because that was recorded with modern era technology. Right. And to see what, how it sounds as compared to like, say an old Tony Bennett album. Um, he's another guy that I love. Um, yeah, I, I think the only uh, Tony that, Bennett I have, which is, uh, it, I guess if you're going to have one, it's the one to have. It's I Left My Heart in San Francisco. Like, that's the yes. one I have. <laughs> and I found it, and I was like, no, oh, absolutely. I miss. <laughs> so. like, sh- like, shit, like if the Sinatra Duets albums came out on vinyl, like, uh, I, I'd have yeah, to find those. Yeah. Because um, those were fucking amazing. Yeah, they really um, were. I mean, like, like even as a kid, I was like, this is cool. Like, what the hell? I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I mean, and then just some of the people that he had on, like, even the first album. I mean, you got Luther Vandross, Aretha Franklin, Barbara Streisand, Julio Iglesias, Gloria Estefan, Natalie Cole, Carly Simon, Liza Minnelli, Anita Baker, Bono. I, I know that everybody's going to laugh at this, but Kenny G. But all of these people are Hall of Famers. Like, they're just goats. And yeah. They decided, like, uh, but then you have Natalie Cole, or you have Tony Bennett doing a, a duet with him, which, like, you know, you know, Frank. Frank was like, you know, Frank was the CEO. He didn't fucking like if you weren't in his crew, you weren't you weren't duetting with him. So it's like kind of like it's a it's this fun thing to see that like um, that the CEO was doing things with people that you knew that he probably wouldn't have done earlier in his career, oh, but was just sure. like was just like huh okay like uh, the second album actually has one of my favorite duets which is um him and lena horn um god it was a gershwin tune um i can't remember which one it was but it's it's a great song like like willie is on the second one i think too um linda ronstan i mean you know there there are certain like i i think that you become a music nerd for the things that you love when you start collecting vinyl right like yeah like it becomes this thing where it's like all of your eccentricities come out like your real eccentricities not the things that you tell people but the things that you like there's the things that we tell people and then there's the things that are in our heart because we don't want to tell people about them because they might hurt us and like the thing is is like music for me at least is such a personal thing that I don't necessarily talk about it as much as I talk about film um because it's an emotional thing for me yeah and not a it was especially like, things that are like small scale like you know music I'll talk about things that like uh, uh, you know I know everybody likes you know but I won't get into like 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 we're talking about like oh I really love Sinatra and Dean Martin like I'll listen mm-hmm. to that shit like blasting the way people listen to you know club music <laughs> so yeah you know no absolutely and most of my because friends would least... be like why are you listening to this this movie this, this this movie this music was made before you were 
ever even born and i don't know why you're listening to it but i'm like i don't know man when he starts going into my way i'm just like fuck yes <laughs> yeah because it's um, like it's my way okay so like the thing is is that my there's no difference to me from my way or jay-z's 99 problems yeah. because essentially they're saying they're they're two men at the top of their game at the top of their looking upon the peak of their careers and looking down and saying, yeah, you know what? You may, you may try to take me down, but I, I, I'm here. I'm not leaving. And it's like, I don't see the difference between the, either one of those two. Like, and I know that Sinatra heads would are probably either rolling over in their graves or they're getting their knives out to stab me like Julius Caesar. And then Jay-Z guys, if they don't know the history and they only care about uh, they only care about Hove, are like, you motherfucker, you don't know anything about it. But the thing is, is that there's no difference between those two guys and what they're doing. It's just the time period and the production and the genre. And it's just evolved, right? And I mean, you know, Frank Sinatra was the first gangster. Let's be honest here. He was the first, yeah. like. He was the first, like, like this is what I don't get about people is that they're like, oh, the, the rap music. It's like, shut the fuck up. I'm like, you and your Sinatra and the Rat Pack. I mean, they were the first, like, they were the first rap supergroup, man. They were the first, they were the first, uh, you know, Wu Tang. Like, I mean, literally, they were. <laughs> I mean, you're not <laughs> wrong. Mean, I, that's funny because one of the first vinyl. And I, I, I want to ask you about rap stuff specifically, but one of the first vinyls I did purchase and it was purchased at a, it was in a discount bin and I like it, but Ryan fucking loved the Wu-Tang Clan and I found yes. 36 chambers for like eight bucks um, oh. and it had like a minor scratch on it, which I was able to, it, it, it plays now all the way through mm-hmm. um, and I mean, oh my God, like talk about a fucking album, man. Like it, how does something that sounds like it was made in somebody's basement, like, and not like a, a punk rock album. This is a rap album that sounds like it was made in somebody's basement, but it's so fucking good. Just front to back. It's so good. It's it's Dude. and to have it on vinyl, I was just like, oh my god, this is amazing! I love love listening to it. But unfortunately, it's one of the only fucking rap. I think I have that and like Curtain Call Volume Two because uh, I got it oh. like ten or twelve bucks or something, which is ridiculous because it's like forty five dollars brand new. Um, yes. But I think those are the only two rap albums I own on vinyl because nobody around like. I shouldn't say they don't sell rap albums. They just have new shit that I'm not fucking interested in. I don't, I know everybody likes uh, Kendrick Lamar and I just, I don't fucking care about that stuff, man. I want 2001. <laughs> That's what I fucking want. Like, give me that. Give me um, any of the shit from the like 80s and 90s. Like, give me any of that. Yes. And I can't ever fucking find it uh, i'll give you a i'll give you a okay so i actually belong to a um 
I belong to a vinyl uh, of the month club. That's the coolest vinyl of the month club. Uh, it's called uh, VMP Vinyl uh, Vinyl Monthly. Um, anyways, I'll send you the link to them because so like your eight dollar thirty six chamber cost me sixty bucks because I I wanted it that bad and it was a limited release and um but so like yeah like the early early era like early two thousands hip hop rap era is like my like me and my wife's jam like. Uh, so like this company actually they're they have a lot of that stuff so i got wu-tang from them i got um the original nas album uh which that's a fucking great album um Aaliyah, Aaliyah's album uh, Aaliyah's two albums i got from them missy's first album uh uh rizza's uh bobby digital albums yeah, that's a good them. album yes <laughs> right like um ODB's, Erica Badu, like they ODB's first album is fucking great too. (laughs) Oh my god, dude. I fucking like 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 him and Loki Raekwon's like first album was fucking legit, but like ODB's like was just off. Okay, can I ask you a question? Are you watching Wu Tang? Uh, an American no, saga. Ryan watched the first season and he was like, dude, you gotta watch this. And I just never got around to it. I haven't watched the la- I haven't watched the latest season, but I watched the, uh, I've watched everything else up to it. Um, dude, you need like if you're if you're if you're a Wu Tang Clan fan, you definitely need to to watch it. it. Like this is because it's written by RZA, um, uh, and show ran by RZA. Like it's exactly what you would want a Wu Tang Clan show about the formation of the Wu Tang Clan to be. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Um, but yeah, no, dude, like, um, it's, it was hard for me to find any of the early 2000s hip hop stuff besides the, you know, besides like Dre's The Chronic, Snoop Dogg's Dogfather, like the big albums, like the super big albums are always there, but I'm like, I want the stuff that's like, like, give me Ludacris's first album, right? Like, yeah, it's a good one Luda's first album. That Luda's first album is like his best. I I know it it it, it sounds kind of weird, but then like there's stuff like the esoteric stuff that I like, like Tyler the Creator. Like I like the newer stuff. I like the the like you know the guys who are taking rap to a different area, um, like him or Kid Cudi. Those are those are actually really easy to find. It's the like you said, it's like the 2000 to about 2015. Where like the biggest rappers, like the guys like Lil, like the early era Lil Wayne stuff, the early era Ludacris stuff, the early era Missy stuff, all of that stuff is like super hard to find just like walking into some place because either A, they do, they get repressings, but they're limited run repressings, which I don't get, but I understand, I guess, because I mean, I don't. I don't know too many vinyl collectors, and the ones that I know, man, they're into super white music. And sometimes I'm not into super white music, and so yeah. it becomes a really, it becomes a very difficult task to be like. So I understand that, like you know, every Bruce Springsteen album is out, but do you know if they have like you know? Do you know if like you know I can find the third Wu Tang album? What do you mean? Who's Wu Tang? It's like oh god. Please deliver me 
from all of this madness. So it does become difficult, but it's not impossible. And like yeah. I said, like there are these there are these boutiques. Like I can get like I'll I'll send you the links so that you can actually, if you want to put them in the show notes, that actually specialize in like like they're kind of like um they're kind of like blu-ray boutique labels where they specifically are designed and made to like do short limited pressings like i've gotten all my white stripe albums through them like i love the white stripes um and so like the thing that was hard for me was to find those at a at a 40 dollar price range and not triple that because yeah like you said it's so easy to get like to get lost in it and find stuff but it's at a cost that's effective like i'm not going to spend a hundred dollars on a white stripes album who is yeah i think the most i've spent is uh i bought hot rocks which is basically rolling stone's greatest hits pre yeah. like 1990 um yeah. which is i mean every fucking song is great but and, it's it's yep. a four uh vinyl set and so it's four albums packed full of great songs it was 45 bucks and i was like i, th- I mean i will listen to everything on this record yeah. so um i i plopped down the nearly 50 dollars with tax for that i think that's the most i've spent um generally i'm on the lookout for deals uh, but you know some of that stuff at thirty dollars. I'm just like, yeah, okay. I I love this album enough. Like I bought Plush. I think it was like twenty six dollars. Um, I I love so Temple Pilots. Yeah. Uh, I actually have their first two albums. Um, you know. Uh, it, but yep. I, they are repressings. But still, you know. Um, but but it doesn't matter. Like. Yeah. The repressings I don't care about as long as you give me the original versions. Yeah. Um, and you don't do any like you don't do too much fussing with it, right? Like I want a remaster, but I don't want them like okay. So like, are you a Pearl Jam fan? I uh, I am. I have Vitology. Okay. Um, I almost I have- bought Jeremy or. Uh, 10 sorry not jeremy i almost bought 10 the other day i saw it at target but it was like 38 dollars, and i was like i don't i i like i feel like at some point i'm gonna come across this cheaper than 38 dollars exactly well and here i'm gonna put a star on that for you make sure it's the original productions of them because oh it was 10 it wasn't (laughs) definitely wasn't because it was like in like some weird colored vinyl i was like so this is a a new version and it's i'm just not gonna spend almost 40 dollars for a single record of, no. no of of stuff that's that's not the original like okay so like the problem i have this brings up a good point which is, is like so like I refuse to buy the 10 album until I find the original pressing of it because everything now is that new updated production of 10, which I hate every version of it because it sounds different than the lo-fi, dirty, fast version Yeah, that, of that grunge. That's what you want. Yes. That grunge. So. Exactly. And the... the uh, I can tell you, and you probably already know this because you probably listened to the... Uh, or if you haven't, 
with the unplugged album, the Nirvana stuff is the same recordings. Like, like my pressings are like, and they say that they're like original productions of these out al- of these three albums. But I've yet to find the Pearl Jam ones, and I'm also very scared of trying to find the Soundgarden yeah. uh, albums because yeah. I know they fussed with those, and those ones, like those, are like like those two, those three bands. I mean, like you know, if you're a '90s kid and you loved grunge, those were the three bands, and Temple of the Dog, of course, which was the super, yeah, was the Avengers. I would, I would bands. love to have, I would love to have that album on vinyl for sure. Yeah, so. yeah, um, but. And again, like it's weird, it's weird ass, like like remasters. And then, like if you spent enough time with those albums, you know those things backwards and forwards, just like movies. Like you know, we're getting into this whole thing of like the how they merge together, like how like movies, like you know, George Lucas and for better or for worse, the special editions, right? Like that's the equivalent. I watched Adventures in Babysitting on Disney Plus the other day. Oh, I get it. Don't tell me that. But you know what, man? Fuck that shit. Like, I I know that there's an f bomb in that movie, but like, yeah, it's the line that makes the movie, man. Like, don't fuck yep. with the babysitter. The babysitter. Like, <laughs> and and like, it's not that in there. Shit makes me mad. I'm like, you know, I'm not watching this on basic cable. Like no. uh, where I'm like, oh, they're gonna edit out all the curse words. It's fine. I'm I'm streaming this on Disney Plus. Like instead of putting a disclaimer up that says this movie has been modified um, for content, why don't you put a disclaimer up that says, hey, parents, there's an f word in this movie. There's some situations that in the current day are probably not considered okay for children under the age of thirteen mm-hmm. to watch. So. Make sure you know what your kids are watching instead of editing the fucking movie. <laughs> it made me so mad. Yeah, no, it, it it does because it's like, come on, really, dude? Like you're gonna you're you're gonna do this? Like I I I don't honestly understand that. That's why I mean, of course, physical media. That's why I have mm-hmm. like you know I have a. I will tell you, I have a copy. I have a Blu-ray copy, a perfectly beautiful copy of of Adventures in Babysitting that has that has the don't fuck with the babysitter, and it's like, um, like there's nothing wrong with that f bomb or the fact that the whole thing, uh, like, is based off of a misunderstanding about a Playboy. Like, like I feel like they're gonna do something digital with that shit eventually because yeah. it's like. Yeah. So, anywho, um, but yeah, re- yeah no, records. No. You, you're right. You got to be on the lookout for that. Like, you know, you can't just pick it up and go like, "Oh, I love this album." Now you have to be on the lookout to see if it's like from the original recordings or if it's like updated because you don't want to spend thirty to forty dollars on a vinyl set. Only to find out, like, oh, this sounds like I'm streaming it from Spotify. Like, there's no depth there. So, which, you know. There's no warmness. There's no nothing. Which is why I have most of my, well, I don't say most, but a lot of my albums are just shit I found at thrift stores. So, Mm -hmm. you know, even if they're a little 
sometimes a little too poppy or maybe there's a scratch here or there like at least i know mm-hmm. what i got well yeah and okay so like here's the thing is that like we don't talk about this but character like like th- like even in my newest vinyls there's a character in it like 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 there's a pop or there's like a a bump even if i clean it like you know like and you know like the whole thing of like cleaning the yeah. cleaning that side making sure all that good stuff there's still going to be a little bit of a there's a warmness but there's a character and i don't want to say that it's bone scratches because it's not but like so like i um i also am a huge fan of death punk and so like i have i collect like that was the first thing that i did was i went on a hunt for everything I couldn't find everything until recently. My most recent purchase was Mondo made it rest in peace. Um, Mondo vinyl finally repressed their Tron album. And so I was able to buy their $50 Tron album because yeah, I saw that somewhere and I almost picked it up. And yeah, it was like, I think it was like $47 where I saw it. And I was like, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but if you're a Tron fan, like if you're if you're if you're a Tron fan, that is exactly what you want. Like you like it's everything. Like a Tron fan and a Daft Punk fan, it's it's got like extended cuts. It's got first mm-hmm. versions. It it's got everything that you would want from a special edition, right? But the thing is, is that for a for an album that is like techno based, right, or electronic based, there's a lot of character in the vinyl because it's a vinyl. So like it has its own kind of it it plays right, it plays right, but there's a warmness to it that is not on Spotify that becomes a character, and I know that version. Like like, I have two thirds of I have two thirds of um, Bowie's collection. Like I purposely because I I'm a huge David Bowie fan, so I have two thirds of his albums. I'm still trying. I'm probably never be able to collect all of them just because cost right, but everything like i've listened to all of them and my versions are very specific to me and it makes it personal for me so like when i listen to uh ziggy stardust and the spiders from, uh, like you know and the spiders from space and that that album or hunky dory like that album for me is specific because it's the way that i'm hearing it and it's character that i'm listening to right um that's different than your album and different than everybody else's album but we've kind of gotten away from that because Spotify, everybody is listening to the same fucking thing, right? But yep. album kind of brings back the character for me. Um, and it, like, I think that ultimately for me, vinyl calms me or s- slows me down because, like you said, like you have to flip the side and it's only 40, like, you know, you have a certain amount of time. But if you go back, and part of the reason why I go back to like stuff pre 90s, is because you made a vinyl and you had to make sure that every one of those tracks were bangers, like that were great songs. So it told a story. You kind of like people are bringing that back, but this is like where the like you know it it flowed. So there's a flow to everything, and I just kind of love that aspect of it. I love that it forces me to listen to an entire you know, in an entire album, in its entirety. Though, again, I'm a big soundtracks guy. So like, you know, honestly, like tonight, like today, 
I'm Soundtracks probably gonna put on Guardians for that One stuff. Yeah, I'm, Guardians gonna... One was I think the first very first vinyl I bought. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna put that on right. Like I'm gonna probably put that and two on, like both of them because I I own both on vinyl. Um, I'm gonna put one of those two because it's just banger after banger, right? Like it's it's great music after great music, and you don't have to worry about something that's gonna be like, oh man, what? Yeah, yeah. So. Forrest Gump is good for that. The Forrest Gump soundtrack. Yes, Pulp Fiction, if you could find it on vinyl, that's one I desperately would love to have on vinyl. Um, uh, uh, and, and that kind of dovetails into like the the article. Like I loved that you went everywhere with the with that Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it was a little all over article. the place. But no, no, no. But okay, so like it was purposely. Like, okay, I, I'm not saying that it was all over the place. I'm just saying it was purposely around the park, if you know what I mean. Because yeah. you you needed to go every place because so like that movie had so much tangled up in it, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, and um, I don't have... Okay, so like the weirdest part is, is I have Jackie Brown. I have... Oh no, actually, I do. Watch. Right. Um, so, Quinn's soundtracks, like, regardless of what you think of the man, his soundtracks are. Bad. Yeah, they're usually pretty spot on. Like, it's, and I don't. He knows how to like compose like all of that. Like the way the soundtrack itself is laid out is so good. Uh, especially Pulp Fiction. Like, I mean, it opens with the dialogue, uh, you know, uh, that little tail end of that dialogue of the diner scene and immediately mm -hmm. just cuts into Miserloo. That's just, it, it's so fucking good, man. It's just so good. Yep. Uh, I, I have, so yeah, I, I have some great soundtracks. Yeah, I have most of Quentin's soundtracks. Um, Kill Bill 1 and 2, I have yet to find. Um, I, I really do want those. Um, but Jackie Brown, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, um, even Death Proof, which is a banger of a soundtrack. Um, I have them all. I just sent you my... Um, I think, yeah, I okay, I found it. that. I found that. Uh, like I found the Pulp Fiction one at my, at, at my local vinyl for $14.99. Oh, and it's man. in perfect condition. What a deal. It's that perfect is condition. such a deal. Yeah. And then Reservoir Dogs, you can find, I think, on Target for $19.99. And the Reservoir Dogs one is, like, that one's, like, that's probably my favorite fun album because it has such these weird, odd 70s country and pop and just, like, just, just weirdness. Um, but, yeah, Quentin's soundtracks, regardless of what you think of the man, um, especially Pulp Fiction. I don't know. Pulp Fiction is like Pulp Fiction for our generation. I feel like, regardless if you liked the movie or not, I, I am I am one of those people. I don't to... love Pulp Fiction. Yeah. I think the fucking soundtrack to Pulp Fiction is better than the movie. <laughs> it it's <laughs> such a good soundtrack. Um, it, yeah, I I mean I would I used to listen to the soundtrack all the time. And it's just not a movie that I love. That I mean, I revisit it every few years, probably. Um, but I, I also recently found, well, recently, six or seven months ago, 
both volumes of the Big Chill soundtrack on vinyl, which those are just much like the Forrest Gump soundtrack, like the music of that era. It's just like literally the greatest hits of that era. Um, it's it's like have to have. Um, okay, also, have the ask. Dirty Dancing soundtrack, which is also a compilation of like songs that sound like it comes from the 50s and also songs from the 50s. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. She's like the wind, bro. She's like the wind. Yep. Man, my sister was like, how many of your sisters were in fucking e- love with e- Patrick Swayze? Everybody in my family <laughs> was in love with Patrick Swayze. Um, I think, I, I, I mean, Roadhouse, I think I kind of fell in love with Patrick Swayze because both. Yeah. I, I didn't <laughs> love I mean, Dirty Dancing when I was a kid. I really yeah. do appreciate it now because I can see the more adult stuff in the movie uh as a kid i was just like i don't want to watch a stupid love story um you know (laughs) there were there were other patrick swayze Swayze movies that i was way more down for next of kin uh roadhouse uh you know stuff like that but uh um the crow is another one we were talking about 90s music music. that's one that the when i saw it well, I was like, oh, this is $40? I don't care. I'm buying it. I think it was like 38 yes. But that's such a good fucking soundtrack. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, it's such a good soundtrack. That one, because it had everybody, like, it had everybody from Jesus and the Mary Chain to fucking Henry Rollins to Nine mm-hmm. Inch Nails to The Cure. Anybody who was big alt-rock guys were on that album. And plus, of and, course, Stone Temple Pilots, that yeah. song. That's the only, and so that's the only song that is like a hit outside of the album. Everything else yes. is very specific to the album. So I love that it's not that that it's the acoustic version of that song. You know, yes, because it's it, it's different than and yeah. and it became a hit in and of itself. You know, so, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I know the cure has, and this is probably blasphemy for cure fans, but that's my favorite fucking song by the cure. It might be the only song by the cure that I love, but I fucking (laughs) love that song. (laughs) That song that opens the, that opens the Mm -hmm. soundtrack. Yep. Like that's a, that's a banger of a song because it doesn't sound like the cure. Like it sounds like it's a part of. The best part about the Crow album is that it sounds like like everybody sounds like the way that the Crow universe should sound. It yep. doesn't sound like them. Like like I, I go back to that Jesus and Mary Chain song. Like there weren't they didn't sound like industrial bands, but they didn't sound like an industrial band. Or neither did Rollins. Rollins was like hardcore punk, like but he sounded. He sounded industrial, like everybody sounded like like the industrial rock had like just been infused in them, and I loved that. I mean, shit, body counts on that album, mm-hmm. um, like the, and that was before it became like a fa- like the Spawn soundtrack a few years later, where they did the rock rap fusion, which is another album that is so much better than the movie itself. Yeah. Like that album. That Judgment Night, that Judgment Night album. Oh, the Judgment Night. Yes. 
oh man, how much money is that album? How much do you <laughs> want? Like, like how much, like it's probably only had like a couple of hundred pressings, but if you could find it, it's probably like $500. Like I can guarantee you it's super expensive though. Somebody should really release that fucking album. Like I can't even imagine like that album would be badass if they re like, I mean, they repress everything else. They might as well um, repress that one. Um, yeah. Well, like, um, I just, man, vinyl's just so great. Like it, it, it's not like, I hate the fact that it's become this like elitist thing that people think that it's an elitist thing. Um, I honestly don't like, I used to feel that way, but then as soon as I started collecting and I realized that they're pressing the stuff that I love. So, and it's a far superior version of anything that I've ever had. Like even in CD form. So why wouldn't I want these, right? Oh yeah, for sure. So uh, it's uh, yeah. I I think the only thing vinyl wise we didn't talk about was non music stuff, but I don't have a ton of that. I've got one George George Carlin album, and I do oh. have uh to go along with the two Star Wars soundtracks I bought. Uh, you'll appreciate this. I found uh. There was a release in probably 78 called The Story of Star Wars that's just like yes. a narrated version of Star Wars with like dialogue scenes like thrown in there. I, I found that and bought that with this is why I spent one hundred and thirty dollars on vinyl because that was twenty five dollars. But I also found um, and it was still sealed, too. So. Um, oh. I also found uh, in probably 80 something, there was mm -hmm. a, uh, it's called Star Wars Rebel Mission to Ord Mantell, which hmm. is something that gets referenced at the beginning of Empire, I think. Yes. Um, yes, it does. And, Between Leia and Han. Yeah. And this is that. Like, it's that huh. mission to Orb Mantel. It does not feature the original cast. Of course. But it is, <laughs> it is basically just a radio drama, almost. Um, it's okay. pretty interesting. I, it, it was also still sealed, and I paid, like, $25 for it. But I was like, I have to have these. <laughs> yes! Yes! No, dude, dude, I... I... I don't have any written or spoken word stuff, so... Um, I never even thought about like comedy albums, which would be a big thing. Like I, I could probably there's some great ones. Prior albums, yeah, yeah. Right. Prior Murphy, um, Carlin, he's a good one. Like that, they don't go out yeah. of style. Unfortunately, you know, no. Cosby, <laughs> you know, is not one you want to seek yeah. out anymore. Um, although no. his stuff back in the day, that shit was funny, but like now it's just like I can't. I don't even want it in my house. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, Absolutely. it's it's been a fun adventure, like rediscovering vinyl and like just the hunt, man. It much like yeah. comic books, it's like the hunt. So, you know, I'm always looking for specific bands, but there's always stuff that I'm like I would buy if I found it, like for the right price at the right time at the you know. Stuff like that. So, um, no, anyway, absolutely. That's a, uh, right. Good place to stop, I think. Um,
go uh, check out everything else we're doing over at xwingfiles.com. Um, most things are on hiatus right now. We're talking about The Mandalorian, though, which we didn't talk about this week, but we've talked about privately, and holy shit, are we so stoked for what, oh my good what the rest of the yes. season is going to bring us. <laughs> so, uh, my, I will say this much. My, I love our, our conversation on the podcast. You know, uh, it just doesn't seem like it's going in the right direction. And then it's like literally Filoni and in Beverly heard us oh and my went, God. <laughs> they're like, you don't think that it's about the Mandalorian? Okay, well, hold my beer. I'm going to add one letter to the addition to that Mandalorians. <laughs> and we're going to give you all the Mandalorians. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, we'll probably talk about it later because, you know, um, next week we'll have an episode, another episode, which I feel like, yeah, um, it's exciting. It's definitely exciting. But um, please go read um, Logan's piece on Pulp Fiction, which, again, it's it's a lot more than just Pulp Fiction, because my favorite Logan is the one that takes a subject that he knows that his brother loves. But he's maybe, hmm, okay. And it becomes a greater conversation about everything around the film. So if you don't know 94 as a film year, and we've kind of talked about this. It's the greatest year in film history, man. Like you will never, <laughs> never, like, I, I don't, I'll never see another year. Like every fucking movie. I'm just like, even if I don't love it, I'm just like, yeah, but I like that movie. Like I, I must've saw Every damn movie that came out that year Maybe not in 94 But like I've seen everything that came out In 1994 And I liked 90% of it <laughs> Even if you Like okay like Read his article and then go into the deep dive Of trailers that I put together for you that guys That thing was so cool <laughs> Oh my god 45 trailers for movies that are all Like you're Pop just like, culture, yes, like, yes, relevant. <laughs> You're Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio pointing at the screen in that meme. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Yes. Um, please read his article because it's it's really great. Because, like, you know, again, like it's all about everything surrounding Pulp Fiction, but also Pulp Fiction itself. Um, uh, and uh, again, like, it's not that he hates it, like, and I'm not gonna explain what, like what he loves about the film, but he definitely reconciles what he loves about the film. Um, so yeah, there's that article and there's always more stuff. Um, there's a lot more stuff coming out this week. Um, but yeah, uh, movieowl.com where we're always writing stuff. We're always posting stuff about your favorites and your not so favorite movies. Um, what do we next week, we kind of teased, we've got, um, like, uh, we've ho got, like hopefully yeah. Mario and Dungeons and Dragons. I'm, I'm planning yes, on exactly. seeing both of those in the next, uh, week before we record. Yes. So. A minimum of Mario, a minimum of Mario. Cause I know that both of us are going to go see Mario. Yeah. Uh, we're just kind of curious. Um, uh, so with that guys we will go, we will talk to you guys uh, in a week we'll see you guys next week number three lord of the rings and the hobbit number four mario number five weird out number six batman number seven cal number eight the simpsons number nine tv number ten every single band that i stole all their mp3s but before they all sold out see it all together if you're with me now Nerds ruin everything